It's time to turn out the lights, grab some popcorn, and watch some horrible horror movies. This is the Terrible Terror Podcast. Each episode, I delve into the world of terrible horror movies. Why do I do it? I can't really explain it, but I love these horrible movies. If you've made a horror movie on your phone or your own special effects MacGyver style, please send it my way. Now, what happens when you take an anime, make it based in America, and get Willem Dafoe to star? Why, you get the film Death Note. Why, hello everybody and welcome to another episode of the Terrible Terror Podcast. <laughs> Can you believe I almost said something different there? Of course you know you're at the Terrible Terror Podcast. And this is a very special treat, both for myself and hopefully for you guys as the listener, uh, that we're doing Death Note this week. Now, normally I try to wait, and, and I explained a little bit at the end of last episode, but I try to give it some time, uh, you know, you give it a couple weeks, uh, I want to release on time and everything like that, and there's been a couple times where there's been hiccups, uh, things happening in everybody's life that you don't release something right away, uh, but I really felt that I needed to look at this, being a, a somewhat fan of the anime series of Death Note, um, I felt that it was only right to look at the movie. I mean, I I was watching a couple of the trailers that they had earlier, and it looked really interesting. Like, there were things that I was definitely kind of, like, wary of, yet I still showed some interest in seeing the film. And that was mainly for two reasons. The first being uh, Willem Dafoe, and who doesn't fucking love Willem Dafoe? And he is the one that plays the Shinigami uh, Ryuk. Uh, as they say it in the film. Uh, and then the other reason was because of the director of the film, Adam Wingard. Uh, and I've really enjoyed the films that he's done before, uh, and he's most known for the VHS series, as well as Your Next, The Guest, and Blair Witch. And honestly, I'm going to say this right out, because I really don't want to go too much into it at the end or the middle or randomly... Um, directing-wise, and the way stuff is set up in this film, the film is done really well. Like, in terms of being directed. Now, there are bits and pieces of this, as we'll go through, uh, that are a complete fucking mess. And it always happens when you try to take something, and uh, especially when you take things like video games and comics to an extent... Uh, and things from other cultures, and you try to bring them and make them more centralized. I'm not going with this whole, like, oh, it's all whitewashed, because technically it's not. 
uh, especially with your choice of L. Uh, but it definitely is Americanized, and you get that feeling. And there are some things that, even when you take, like, the Attack on Titan movie, let's take that, for example. You take stuff that works in an anime or a manga, and then you try to translate it over to a live-action film, and you can even say that for some of Disney's things. Though, in some aspect, like, we'll say the Jungle Book, right? Uh, it is done well, but... How much of that is still truly, quote-unquote, live-action, and how much is it really just animation still? Like, when you this fucking Lion King movie that's gonna... How is any of that gonna be... I, okay, getting off-topic here, but when you take... Like I said, the, the best example that I have of this is not just, like, Ghost in the Shell, but Attack on Titan, right? You've got a very well-done anime series and a fun manga, if you're into reading it. And then they just seem like they shit all over the bed when it came to the quote-unquote live-action version of the movie. Trying to cram too much shit into too little time. Uh, and that's, uh, you know, what we're going to ultimately discuss what happens with this film when, one, they try to change genres going from animated uh, well, from hand-drawn, long-form story to animated, then over to this, which is an hour and 40 minutes. Uh, it's difficult. And we'll, like I said, I don't want to get into too much right now, but uh, we will talk about that a little more towards the end of the episode. Uh, but in general, I mean, the direction of Adam Wingard, uh, I think it's great. I actually, that part I enjoyed. I w- enjoy the way he framed stuff. Uh, I enjoyed the way that he didn't hold back on the deaths of people when there were deaths. Um, that he kept some of the humor uh, that uh, works here there. And then some things, of course, don't work so well. But I don't know if I blame it on to Adam here. Uh, it's possible that other things in the film, not just direction, uh, you know, can fault something. Uh, you know, bad acting, bad story, uh, horrible CGI. Things like that kind of affect a film in general. But like I said, I really think that he doesn't deserve... Maybe some of the hate that he's going to get from this film. But ultimately, I think that he did a very fine job, at least in terms of the direction of the film. Of course, there's going to be other things that we're going to discuss while we talk about this film. Well, then I'm going to tell you. I don't I don't know how there's a dialogue here, uh, considering this is my podcast. So... Just keep that on the back burner of your mind while you're kind of listening to me talk at you about this film in general. Just know that I really did enjoy the way that Adam Wingard did it. And I'm going to say outright, I did enjoy Willem Dafoe very much. But I do have my um, reservations about uh, the character of Ryuk in general in regards to this film. Again... We can't really start talking about the film without talking about the the series that it's based on, and that's, of course, Death Note. Uh, and it did start out as a manga first, and then it became an anime that became a regular series that ran for 37 episodes. Follows the story of Light, uh, who finds a book that's called The Death Note, and he is tied to a Shinigami named Ryuk. Uh, and that's the gist of things basically there's a bunch of rules he puts down and then they do get a lot of the lore right i should say because we're going to discuss it again 
But according to the rules, he's able to put names in the book and the way these people die, and that's how those people die. And he starts getting kind of a bigger head with everything. Like, he believes that, hey, we can rule society, not rule society necessarily, but I can make society a better place because I have the power to kill people, and he kind of goes crazy on it. Then there's another character by the name of L. L is a detective that's always chasing around. This is all based in Japan, and he ends up meeting with uh, another person that purveys a death note that goes by the name Misa. Uh, and things kind of get changed around, of course, within the film. One, this all of the manga, it all takes place in Japan. Uh, everything, but he still does like worldwide killings and shit like that. And it gets weird as it gets later on. And, uh, and you know, if you don't know what a Shinigami is, uh, basically translates out to a death God. I really wish they would have kept that name in the film, but the fact of the matter, they still call him a death God, of course, you know, works for me, but what is a death God, right? Uh, just a miserable pile of secrets. No, that's a man, not a death God. Okay, Dracula taught me that one right. Anyway, so <laughs> that's kind of like the basis of the anime. There's a lot of stuff that goes on. Uh, there's a lot of stuff that's a little different, even from the manga to the anime. Uh, but in general, uh, this is a very well-received anime uh, by a lot of the community uh, of those people that watch anime. Uh, so <clears throat> why make a movie of Death Note? Well... You know, popularity and and money, uh, to be honest with you. Uh, I mean, for some, it's probably a passion project. They've always wanted to bring this to the screen. But the funny thing is, is that there's at least two films that I know of that are live-action films of Death Note. And I've seen one of them in the theaters, and it was odd. Uh, it was good, but it was very odd. And it's a little more melodramatic than I wanted it to be, but surprisingly, that's... Uh, that's a lot of anime that's out there uh and if you uh, you know you want to prove me wrong prove me wrong but there's a lot of melodramatic anime that's out there and that these two films weren't i'm not just talking about anime films these were live action films uh there's always lots of anime films that are out there when it comes to these movies so without making myself sound like more of an idiot let's talk about something i do know and i i can express to you in the clearest words possible and that is the film of death note the first thing that you're going to notice is that it takes place in Seattle. Yeah, for some reason, we can't keep this in Japan. We have to move it to America if we're going to do this. But that's also because we're not going to have Japanese actors play any of these parts. No, no, no. This is America, goddammit, and it needs to be played by Americans. Uh, whether or not they actually truly are Americans and not just British people, I don't fucking know. Or they could be from anywhere. But it's America. It's based in Seattle, goddammit. Uh... And we see uh, over the longest and kind of boringest intro sequence I've seen in a while, that song that you heard when we started the episode, that's the intro theme. It builds up a little bit, but right when it starts building up to its nice crescendo, that's when the title notes of Death Note pop up, and then all of a sudden it ends. And that's just kind of it. Uh, it kind of sucks because I really wanted to hear more of the song, uh, especially when it started getting interesting. And there really was nothing that interesting kind of going on during those points in the song either. And I really wanted to play a lot more for you guys in the beginning, but it's like two minutes of 
the same type of melody until that big break at the end, and it's just not worth it. We also look at all the characters that are in the scene, and it's all kind of flashes between the school and different, like, classrooms to the football team practicing to the cheerleaders where we get to meet one of our main characters of the film, but we don't know exactly who she is just yet. Uh, but she looks bored as hell, and while all the other cheerleaders are all, like, happy, smiling, doing their routines, then why are you a fucking cheerleader if this is what you don't want to do, yet you're bored with your fucking life? I don't fucking get it. And then we get to see Light, and Light is sitting there, and it looks like he's doing homework, and then somebody comes by, passes him, like, 20 bucks, and he passes the page of homework. So he's making money doing homework for other students. Great. What a fucking role model we've got of a character. Uh, He's going to make the perfect uh, Death Note guy, right? Because he's so badass that he does homework for other people. I don't... I don't get it. Okay, well, that's maybe to show that he's smart and he doesn't really, you know, need education. He's been listening to too much Pink Floyd. Again, he's, uh, you know... He's what he is. And then we go back over the cheerleader and we see that she... Oh! Oh, look, we got Betty Badass over here. She's smoking a cigarette. And she's in high school and she's part of the cheerleading team. Everybody watch out! Smoking a cigarette! Smoking a cigarette! Like, really? (laughs) Come on. Like, I get it. You know, you have these characters where, oh, they're not part of the norm. They're not... You know, she's like maybe an outsider that happens to be a cheerleader because guess what? She smokes! Stupid. Fucking stupid. That's it. I feel like, uh, what's his name from UHS? And they've just fucking picked the, the box instead of taking the red snapper. You so stupid! Ugh. Okay, I can't do that guy very well, okay? You know, I've only got certain ones that I can do impression-wise, and, uh, that's what you're gonna get from UHF. Anyway, so... Uh, from here, uh, the Death Note itself just falls from the sky. Like, it literally falls on the ground by light. Light picks it up, and then it starts raining like crazy. Everybody's running away, and we then get into the first conflict of the film where some bullies are picking on a poor little guy. Ooh, I'm gonna think I'm gonna take that. Ah, okay. you, fuck. you just call me? Call fuck. Fuck. Hey, don't touch her! <laughs> you can't need your help, okay? That's all you're gonna do? How do all by yourself come teach me a lesson? You got held back, didn't you, Kenny? Twice, I think. Did you get funny? <laughs> uh, no, I think it's very sad, actually. I only mentioned it because that would make you over 18, which means that if you were to beat me up, which I'm sure you could, it would technically be child abuse. So if you don't want to wind up on some kind of registry, I suggest you back the fuck Okay, at the end there, he gets punched in the fucking head and knocked out. And right away, child abuse? Why would it be child abuse? Just because he's possibly 17, this guy's possibly 19? Wouldn't that be something else? I mean, it'd probably be domestic abuse, because everything's fucking domestic abuse today. But child abuse? Really? That's the what we're going to go? You know, he's not related to you. Uh... Just because you're trying to stop him from being a dick while being a dick and making fun of him because, hey, you know, he's not smart enough to, you know, pass high school, which, okay, that's fucking ridiculous, to be honest with you. What does this guy do all day just fucking... 
pick on kids and go out and smoke pot or something like that. Maybe he smokes cigarettes too. That's how we know he's Billy Badass. Uh, besides just fucking, you know, beating up this other kid over here. So for coming to her aid, because Billy Badass over here does push on uh, the poor cheerleader girl, who we don't know who she is just yet. And Light, he steps in the way, you know, just to protect. And, of course, you know, you fucking ridicule somebody like that, and you're going to get knocked the fuck out, okay? And when he wakes up, he's over there, and he's in the principal's office. And uh, it's weird, because all of a sudden, you know, you well, you see him, and he's holding his eye. Uh, and they found, uh, well, one of the teachers that helps find him sees that he's got all the homework pages, and now he's talking to the principal, and the principal's like, you know, hey, look at all the stuff we found on you, and Light really wants him to see the bigger picture. All right, I get it. I'm in trouble. All I'm trying to say is, you have the chance to stop the type of people who make things hard for everybody. You've got to see the big picture here. Light. Some people might look at you, a kid in your situation... Losing your mom the way you did, and they'd be willing to cut you a little slack when it comes to these kind of behavioral issues. Well, I don't believe in that. Detention. Two weeks. Get out of here. Okay, so this scene's important for two reasons. One, uh, we learn about Light's mom, that she died some way. And the principal's kind of a dick for bringing it up in a, like, meeting about the fact that he's doing homework for other people and making money for it. Why would you bring up the fact that the kid's mom's died? That guy, this is obviously doesn't take place today because that guy would have been fired, like, instantly. Oh, I'm not going to give you any special treatment because your mom died in a weird way. Why are you talking about my mom? How do you know my mom? Oh, I mean, um, uh, oh, you know, I'm going to go get our lawyers and we're going to own this school. Fuck, I shouldn't have said anything about the kid's mom. I mean, he's pretty much a prick. We have to let everything go because his mom fucking died. But, hey, I just heard you call me a prick. You know, this is the way it would go on, and he'd somehow get a recording of it and go on fucking YouTube or some shit. Uh, And then, you know, besides that, the other thing we learn of is that Light himself does kind of have a sense of justice, right? He's like, look, yeah, I did something wrong, but you have to understand that these this kid, he's just picking on this other guy, and I stood up, and then I got knocked the fuck out. You're not going to do anything to him? You're more worried about me cheating than this asshole fucking getting away with this thing? So we know that he has a sense of morals, right? He's not just, he's willing to take his own lumps, but at the same time, he's kind of... You know, back in my day, maybe they would have called him a pussy for, like, narking out the other guy. But the principal doesn't seem to even fucking care about the whole thing and just gives him the detention. As he walks out and goes towards the detention, he sees cheerleader girl off in the distance. And she kind of stares at him like she's still kind of, like, interested in him or something like that. But then it seems like she's got a fucking boyfriend. And he, like, carries her off screen. And then, oh, you know, in the back of my mind, he's going to have to do something. Light's going to have to do something to convince this girl. Because that obviously is going to be the love interest. And if you've seen the fucking trailers, you know who the fuck she is. But the way that they, like, show this, it's kind of like, okay, well, she has a boyfriend. That slut. And Light, he's going to have to somehow win her over in some way. But... I'm going to ruin this for you round. Fucking spoiler alert. Uh, he doesn't have to deal with any boyfriend. She doesn't have... This is the only time we see anything like this. Like, period. 
it makes no sense. Why write this in and why even show this goddamn scene if that's not going to be anything moving forward? It makes no fucking sense. Honestly, we see this guy and he's like, he's literally puts his arm around her like, babe, let's get going, babe. And it never happens again. Never. You, you never see this guy again. You never hear about this guy again. Like, that's it. He's just a scene in the crowd or some random extra that got himself you know a part where he gets to put his arm around her though you know you look at it it kind of almost looks like he's got hover hand you know he's not sure that he should be like putting his arm around this actress who's kind of hot in a uh dumpy sort of Kristen stewart type of way like this is Kristen stewart like and you couldn't afford the real Kristen stewart so you had to go to this chick who basically acts like Kristen Stewart in Twilight. Not that I've ever seen Twilight before, but I've seen enough clips to know where I'm going with that. Anyway, from here we go and we see Light. He is now in detention, and a bunch of books have been slammed on his desk. And instead of serving his detention, he decides, hey, remember that like book that fell out of the sky that I grabbed and now we're here? Well, he decides to start reading it, and we learn the first two rules of FICA, I mean, Death Note. Rule one, the human whose name is written in this note shall die. Whoa. Rule two, this note will not take effect unless the writer has the person's face in their mind when writing his or her name. And then all of a sudden, the lights go out. On the city. I mean, in, in the, the fucking library where he's at. Uh, and then marbles are just thrown all over the floor. And who the fuck throws marbles? Honestly. It's like throwing a fucking shoe to kill people. Throw marbles on the floor? Ooh, watch out, you might slip and... Well, maybe it would be painful. Okay, maybe marbles are a good thing to use against people. Uh, and I assume that he's gonna fall on them, but of course he's not going to. Uh, he's going to be looking around all the, the shelves and everything, and that's when he runs into our death god, Ryuk. Uh, and when he first meets him, this is really fucking short, but this scream is absolutely amazing. <laughs> it really sounds like it was ripped straight from The Simpsons, but no. Here, take a listen again. It's so ridiculously bad. And he does the scream again when he's in the room. But of course, uh, he believes that, you know, there's no way that this possibly like eight or nine foot demon uh, looking motherfucker, as he puts it, uh, possibly exists and that he must be sleeping. Okay. Relax, Light. You're asleep. You're asleep and you're dreaming of some eight foot tall demon-looking motherfucker. Oh, yes. A dream. I like that. Dreams are places you can have fun, right? It's all in your mind, so why not enjoy it? Shh. Listen. Go check it out. So, first thing is first. I haven't really described Light. And if I have to talk about him uh, in the way that he looks, he looks like a mixture of, uh, well, Jamie Kennedy 
and Nicolas Cage. Like, if those two manage to screw, or in some weird parallel universe, uh, could get each other pregnant, or create an offspring by just touching tips, uh, they would create this guy. Uh, he really sounds like Jamie Kennedy at times, uh, especially in scenes like this. And then when he looks in the camera sometimes, especially in this scene, he kind of looks like a young Nick Cage, which makes me wonder, would Nick Cage be better in this film than this kid? Yeah, yeah, he definitely would be better if he would be old, over-the-top Nick Cage. Not current, I'm going to be crazy because I need the paycheck, Nick Cage. I know he's our one true god, but uh, not lately. I also want to say that Willem Dafoe is fantastic. Uh, I love, he sounds like he's having a lot of fun with this role, and that laugh, even when it sounds happy, still scares the ever-loving shit out of me. Uh, We also have, and I couldn't really tell, I feel like at times it is, and I feel like at times it isn't, that Ryuk is both practical and CG, at sometimes at the same time. Because I think there's somebody that's wearing the suit, because you can definitely tell with like the hands, the makeup, it looks great. And you don't get a whole lot of flashes on his face, or any type of close-up when he talks. Uh, a lot of the times when he does talk, he's talking in the darkness, and all you really see are the eyes. And I think that's a practical effect. If it's a CGI effect, fucking bravo, because it looks like a fucking practical effect. Uh, I love everything about the way that character is done even when you get to actually see him uh in the light i think he looks pretty good uh and there's some visual representations of him from the the manga that are layered in parts of the movie and it shows up in one of the more bigger scenes of the film that we'll talk about later but really the way that it moves the way that he speaks the way the eyes glow everything is pretty damn good to be honest with you and if it isn't practical like i said i give them props on that for making believe that it is if it is practical i give them major props because it looks fantastic and it looks perfectly creepy so as you can gather from the end of that sequence he kind of pushes uh well rio pushes light more towards the window has him go over there and look at what's going on outside and we see that our bully he is busy bullying some lady that's outside they're pushing around taking her shit and Ryuk, he tries to basically coerce Light into using the Death Note on that bully. Now we could, in this dream of yours, take care of a situation like this. We just put Kenny's name down and see what happens. So from here, he writes down the bully's name into the book and also tells him that he needs to write in how the bully is going to die. And so, I mean, how would you test this theory of this death note, right? You get it. You see some creepy guy right away. I would believe it's real if I fucking saw that thing, right? 
would you want to use it? That's kind of the question that is asked of Light, or at least he seems to be asking himself inside of his head. Uh, and if you really did use it, that much fucking coercion, like he barely said he's just like, go on, come on, you know you want to. So there's obviously something kind of in the back of Light's mind, right, at this point in the film, that he really has, I don't know if it's a sense of justice, or it's a morbid curiosity, or he just wants to make sure then he's not really dreaming, right? Because if he's really dreaming, nothing's going to happen, everything's going to go weird, he'll wake up the moment that anything bad does happen. Because that's what really happens in dreams, right? You kill somebody, you wake up right away, and everything's fucking fine. So, again, I ask you, what would you put down as the type of death that you would choose for somebody if you thought it was a dream? Well, maybe heart attack? That doesn't seem too bad. Um, Maybe uh, AIDS? Take a couple years, uh, then he'd fucking die off? I mean... That, that's not a bad one, right? Unless it's like insta-AIDS. Like he gets it and his body like shrivels to nothing. That would be both weird and interesting at the same time. Especially if insta-AIDS is really a thing. Maybe super diabetes. Like the moment that he goes in, uh, he bites on a gummy bear that he stole from her pack. And then all of a sudden, bam! He has super diabetes, you can't get away from that. Fucking Wilford Brimley is going to come and fucking save you at that point, right? You know, his diabetes testing supplies aren't going to get you uh, that far when you have super diabetes. Uh, You know, maybe you have him go into a coma and then you have him die, right? No, you know what Light fucking does? He puts down decapitation. Who the fuck for trying something is going to be like, oh, okay, well, if I'm going to kill you and this is going to be right, it's going to be in one of the most brutal ways, you know, possible. Though I'm assuming Insta-AIDS would probably be really fucking awful as well. So, he does that, and then he watches the magic unfold. Uh, And it goes all weird, like, Final Destination type of Rube Goldberg machine. I mean, it starts down the street with... uh, It pans by everything that's going to happen, okay? That's what happened first. And then it goes to this old Asian lady who, you know, has to use one of those shitty paper bags that they make you fucking take everywhere now. She could have just used her own bag, but she lives in Seattle. So they probably even make that out of fucking bullshit being in Seattle. Uh, And her bag breaks... Releasing something like a thing of salt that one of the kids with the skateboard slips on uh, gets thrown to the street, causes somebody to swerve, which causes another car to swerve, which causes a ladder to come off of his truck and decapitate the shit. And oh my fucking God, that is fucking gruesome. Like, it looks fucking fantastic. Uh, And it is really... It is a good death, and it is awful looking at the same time. And Light, who's watching uh, from the window in his detention room, he freaks the fuck out, too, that this happens. With Ryuk kind of laughing in delight uh, at the chaos that's just been caused. Now listen, I need to separate the wheat from the chaff. I think you might be capable of great things, but if you don't think you can handle it, that's fine. Just put the note somewhere, leave it alone for seven days, and I'll find it a new home. How can this be possible? It happened, just like that. And if this is possible, 
Imagine what Ansia could do. Honestly, there's not a whole lot else that he could do, right? I mean, there's things that he could do by killing other people, but what else could he really do with that death note? Like, does it have like a recipe section in the back? You know, you can make some nice brownies uh, after you're done killing your foes. Uh, maybe there's a blog uh, that when you write it into there, it automatically gets posted on the web. And it's like, hey, the Death Note blog. Uh, hey, dear listeners, I have killed my 700th person today. I couldn't quite figure out how to do it. But I decided that the best way to do it was death by removing his ball sack and then stretching it over his head. Like, what exactly is going to happen here? Uh, There's not much else you can do with the Death Note other than kill people. Of course, you know, there are things that you can, like I said, things that you could do. And, of course, Light figures those things out uh, in terms of how you can kill people and uh, for what purpose is your killing going to be. That's probably more of what the situation is. I just think it's funny if there's actually other things that you could do with the Death Note besides fucking kill people. So, here he goes home, uh, and he has a dinner with his dad after this day is done. And his dad brings up the kid that died, and he's like, no, you know, I don't really know him. Uh, It was shocking, yada, yada, yada. Uh, And then that brings him to the point where they start talking about his mom, and why hasn't he done anything about the mom's killer. Just once, it would be nice to think that you actually, I mean, you're a cop. How do you sleep at night knowing you just watched while a mob guy like Andy Scoma walked away? Hey, would you think I just watched? If I was a cop and some guy ran over my wife, I'd be pretty pissed off if his dad paid his way out of jail. He killed my mom, he nearly beat his girlfriend to death, and you just sit there, you just sit there saying the same bullshit about what? how people better just I'm gonna trust your age. You're still pretty raw your... by what you saw today at school, and that's keeping you from thinking before you speak. I suggest you stop talking. Yeah, that's right. Put him in his place, Dad. Uh, But honestly, the way that this scene's done is kind of shitty. It just feels like he's... uh, I don't know. Like, a whiny fucking bitch. Like, your mom died. He's a cop. Yeah, as a cop, you want to go by and find a way to get rid of the person that killed your wife. Uh, Especially when you got paid off to do it. But at the same time, when you're a good cop, you follow the fucking rules. You don't just fucking go out there and be like, okay, I'm going to figure out a way to put this guy away, or I'm going to go and fucking kill this guy, because I believe that that's what should be done. No, you're going to go and just let things go. And if he gets paid off, you can be pissed, but maybe you're working on a way to actually find it. And the kid doesn't know what the fuck is going on. So, of course, like a pouty little bitch, he throws away his stuff. He goes upstairs and he again starts reading the death note. And Light begins to look inside the book and he starts reading some of the other rules that are there. And he kind of skims through everything till he gets to a page where it says that Ryuk is not your friend, and he pronounced it like Ryuk or some weird way, which prompts Ryuk to show up and uh, have a discussion, one, about the rules and the warnings of the book, and how to properly say his name. Hey, kid. It's pronounced Ryuk. Ryuk. Oh. Hi. Sorry for the mispronunciation. Ryuk, what exactly can I do uh, with this death note? What exactly did you have in mind? Well, it says that I can specify the manner of death. If I can choose how they die, does that mean that I can actually control them? Every human spends the last moments of his life in the shadow of a death god. 
if we so desire, we can influence those moments. There are, of course, limitations. Rule 20. A subject can be influenced for no more than two days leading up to his death. Two days. Your fingers are huge. Rule 28. Each death must be physically possible, so no shark attacks while someone's on the toilet. <laughs> as much as I love that idea. Uh, where did it come from? The history of the note is as long as history itself. But who gave it to me? I mean, did you give it to me? The last keeper of the note passed away. It fell to me to find a new one. What if I didn't want it? You may pass it on, or better yet, I will. How would you do that? I told you. When the note is separated from the keeper for seven days, I find a new one. Who wrote those warnings about you in the margins? Oh, is that what we're going to do with the note light? Rules and warnings? Yeah, why don't we just start fucking killing motherfuckers? So he does convince him that, hey, you know, it's almost like you use it or you lose it type of situation. And so he wants to do some type of justice. And because we've just had this conversation about you-know-who who killed his mom, uh, he decides that, hey, what better person to test it again? You've already tested it once, you stupid motherfucker. Uh, but you're going to test it again, but on the killer of your mom. And so he writes down in the book how this guy is going to die. Uh, you know, Ryuk definitely tells him, you know, you've got to have a name and a face, which is very important for later on in the film. And he writes both down inside the death note. Uh, from here, we have a little kind of sepia-toned... I don't want to say it's like a montage, but it's more like a... Uh, well, you get to see how this guy dies. And it's weird, because this is one of those choices where I was like, okay, in terms of the direction of the way that it went... I'm not sure I like this, how this goes. This is like, meanwhile, sepia tone, brownness. But the scene, I thought, was kind of interesting. And, and again, the death was pretty brutal in, in general. Um, maybe not as bloody as the first death. But, it, it again, it is a Rube Goldberg machine that's going on. Uh, where, all of a sudden, now it's written, then we go from the waiter. And the waiter goes from over here. And then he gets spooked and scared. And he bumps into the guy's chair. And then the guy that is the killer of uh, his mom stabs himself in the neck with his dinner knife. His steak knife. Uh, and then he starts fucking, like, spitting blood everywhere. And, again, looks pretty cool for the moment. Uh... But it's just kind of a weird setup that we have to go through this Final Destination type of bullshit that death is coming for you uh, for him to fucking die. And instead, why can't we just have him maybe look at everybody, pick up the fucking knife and start stabbing himself in the neck or some shit like that. So from here, we fade out from the scene and we're woken up uh, by the sound of James's dad uh, kind of muffled talking in the hallway as he's coming up to Light's door. You've got to be kidding me. <laughs> All right, yeah, I'll see you in a bit. All right. Hey. Hey, uh, one second. Come in. Hey, what you up to? Uh, I just fell asleep on my desk. I just got a call. Our friend Anthony Scomo is no more. Impaled himself on a steak knife in the middle of a restaurant. 
Holy shit. Yeah. You seem happy. Probably shouldn't be, but yeah, I am. Your mom. She always was kind of a hippie. We didn't see eye to eye on everything. She was damn sure right about one thing. Karma's a bitch. Of course, we've got the stereotypical, oh, your mom was a hippie, I am a hard-ass cop type of thing. And can I say this? His dad, he looks like fucking Max Payne, okay? That's the only thing I saw the entire fucking time I was watching this movie. I'm like, oh, Max Payne's back. Oh, it's Max. Is he going to start chewing down on some pills soon? Honestly, it... And I'm not talking about Max Payne uh, from... Well, kind of from Max Payne 3, but it's more or less like Max Payne from the first two where he looked a little bit younger. It just, like... Instead of Mark Wahlberg, we could have had this guy play Max Payne instead, and everybody would have been cool with it. Uh, Also, once the door closes on the scene, we get to actually have our first full-face shot of uh, Ryuk. And honestly... This shot is where it doesn't look the best. Uh, And I even put the notes down of he looks better in the shadows. And actually, I kind of agree with that. And he does stay in the shadows for most of the film, except for a couple other scenes. But this is the first time we get a really good look at his face uh, before the scene flips over to the next day. You see, now we've gone back to high school, and he's up in the rafters light reading the death note and reading the rules. Uh, Meanwhile, badass cheerleader smoker chick... Uh, she's in the the audience, you know, or the the PE collective, or I don't know, doing cheers. I don't know what the fuck she does. All she does look like she fucking mopes around and gets off on fucking death and shit. Uh, But that's for later on in the film. And so she approaches him, and she asks about everything that happened the day before. You in mourning? What? Our friend, Kenny. Oh, yeah, it's terrible what happened to Kenny. You don't have to lie to me. Kenny was a sociopath, and just because he's dead does not make it a tragedy. Right. I just wish I'd seen it. You know, I heard his head spun all the way around. Oh, actually, his head exploded into a million pieces, in case you're wondering. You saw it? Mm-hmm. So it's at that point that she goes from being boring to being somewhat boring, uh, because, like, if she had a, a dick, it would be at full fucking attention at that point. Because once she heard, oh, you saw that he died, it's like, boing, 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 boing. <laughs> just can't control it. Fucking going all guar and shit and just fucking sperming all over the place. <laughs> because she had found out that Light had seen the death of our poor bully in the first place. So they continue on with their conversation. She wonders, what is that thing that he's looking at? And he's not really, he doesn't really want to tell her. He keeps it to himself. No, he fucking doesn't. Death note? What is it? What is what? Your book? Uh, I can't tell you. Okay. Do you really want to know? Sure. Okay, then I'll tell you. I'll just... Follow me. Oh, uh, I can't tell you anything about this. Wait, are you going to show me your boobs? Because if so, you want to you wanna know what this is? Uh, that's seriously what this is. She's just like, and then he's like, wait, but maybe I could get an in to that fucking pussy if I just tell her what this thing is because she was excited. But of course, he's also, you know, probably excited about the fact that 
hey, he's got this cool toy, and he needs to have a girl that he needs to be able to tell about it. Or we need to advance the film in some way and show that he has a love interest, so here, we're going to make it so that he tells her what the fucking thing is. So he takes her off into what I only assume is the cafeteria and explains a little more about the book and tries to prove that the book actually does stuff. What are you talking about? Only the keeper of the note can see me. Uh, Human whose name is written in this note shall die. Your poetry sucks. It's not poetry. Um, will you just read the last entry? Can he doyle decapitation? I have, and you sound a little crazy, but I have a death god. <laughs> I'm gonna get out of here. No, no, don't go. Trust me. You of all people are gonna want to see this. First off, why is she of all people gonna be the one that wants to see somebody get their comeuppance? Because that's basically what he's gonna do. He's gonna go over to the computer and he's gonna find somebody that should die. Uh, and put him in, into him or her into the book, right? Uh, and then the second thing that you should have noticed at the beginning of the clip is that Ryuk was telling uh, Light that only he can see him. Only the keeper of the book can see the Shinigami. And I'm going to keep fucking saying Shinigami, okay? Because that's what he was known as in the books. That's what he is. Yes, I understand Death God is the English translation of it, but fuck it. I'm just going to keep saying what I want to fucking say. Uh, The other thing is, is that if I mispronounce it or it sounds bad, I don't think my Japanese pronunciation is as bad as the way that L does things later on in the film. Uh, And yeah, it's just something that didn't quite work for me. But I digress. Let's get back into the scene. Uh, So he takes her over to a computer. And for some weird reason, he's able to log into like a live crime feed. Like what the fuck? Live crime feed, huh? Uh, I didn't know those existed online. Like I can just fucking search. Oh, here's the live crime feed. Oh, there's the fucking thing that I have uh, to go look at this live crime happening right now because they fucking broadcast that all the time. I got to make sure I know next time when there's a fucking robbery going on that I can log on to the live crime feed and then (laughs) fucking watch the guy rob this door and then maybe get away and maybe get hit by a police truck, Uh, which is what happens in this scene they log on uh they go and get uh find a guy that's holding his wife and kids hostage they find out his name they see his face because the face is being plastered on the live crime feed uh and then he writes him into the book and how he's going to die and then tells her to watch and the guy walks out lets his wife go and she's like i'm glad that his wife is let go he's all "Shh, shh, shh watch babe watch this, if you thought me uh, seeing the guy get his head knocked off gave you a fucking guar boner, then this is going to be massive. This is going to be double dick guar boner. Shooting blood and everything out onto the audience type of everybody loves it fucking double guar boner, okay? So he goes out there, he gives a, the criminal gives a military salute, then a police van just fucking slams right into him. And again, it's pretty fucking brutal the way that it's done and the fact that you get to see it uh, straight up. Uh, I mean, there's no extra blood here, but it is a little like, oh, damn, when he does get hit by the police vehicle. 
She then believes in the note, and they go out for the rest of the night hanging out, and that's where we get one of the lines from the trailer. I guess I should feel guilty, but I don't. That woman and her kids are only alive right now because of what you did. What is there to feel guilty about? You know, the thing is, I know what it's like to get fucked over. Some asshole killed my mom and got away with it until I got this book. I just keep thinking, I mean, why should it just be for me? I mean, all the people that make life miserable, make life dangerous, I can reach them out. Do you think that I'm crazy? If anything, I think you're not crazy enough. So they go back to his place. See, I'm telling you, double fucking guar boner going on here. And she, he takes her up to his room. And it gets a little awkward and fucking stupid right here where he goes in to kiss her. And then he's like, can I kiss you? She's like, you're just supposed to do it. Because she's, again, fucking turned on as hell. And... <laughs> I'm like, uh, let's fuck, then kill people. And that's basically what fucking happens. Like, they get to this point, and we're gonna fuck, and then it goes into them talking about how they're gonna go out killing people and what he's going to be giving society. Now, this is a little bit of a longer clip, uh, but I think that even with the stuff that's in between, it's worth a good listen. Whoever had it before us, what did they accomplish? Just small-time killings, revenge, petty crimes? I think we can do a lot more than just settle some random scores. How about this guy? I don't want people to say that they're scared of it or horrified. What do you want them to say? I want them to say, thank you. people they're a bunch of sheep no they're not they're people who are looking for someone who's not going to let them down the way cops do and politicians and that's why they have you that's bigger than me it's bigger than us what they want is a god so let's give it to him let's give him a god let's make a name for it and everything a god that never lets anybody down it's not going to solve a few crimes it's going to solve all crime a god that scares the shit out of the bad guys until they don't want to be bad anymore god inspires hope that things can actually change kira kira what does that mean it actually means light in russian and celtic well wouldn't you be worried that they could just trace it back to you then no could they it also sort of means killer in Japanese, so if they're going to be looking for him, it's going to be on the wrong continent. So that actually is a decent plan there at the end. And in general, you kind of see the progression of the character from the manga in this section. The only thing, well, and from the anime, but the only thing that I don't quite enjoy is that this took 30 fucking minutes. We're only 30 minutes into the film. I know we're probably at about maybe 45 to maybe an hour uh, in this podcast. But really, 30 minutes in this film, and he's killed supposedly over 400 people at this point. Because they're just going on a rampage of finding people to kill and going at This took a while, you know, not necessarily a long time. But there was a lot more character buildup. And Mia, of course, here... 
who is the cheerleader badass, uh, she didn't really exist in the comics. You know, they pretty much turned Misa into Mia in the comics, but they took a lot out of her. And if you know who that character is, part of the ending makes a little more sense uh, since they kind of rolled that character into this character, yet made her different at the same time. But we'll talk about that a little more later on. We're also treated to here uh, like a montage of all the stuff that he's done so far from the different countries. We get different languages of different broadcasts that go through that one scene in the trailer where like the church is crumbling down. We get to see that here. So it really has no importance upon the story whatsoever. It was just a cool scene to put in the trailer. Let's just put in this fucking montage since nothing fucking goes on. It doesn't make any sense to me to honestly like if you're going to use something like that, do something like that, use it. Do something with it. There's got to be something more going on, and that becomes one of the bigger problems that I have with the film overall that I'll kind of talk about in the end of the podcast. I hate when I tease like that, but that's the way I've got to go. We have a lot more of this film to uh, discuss. So now that we've gotten our uh, death-killing montage uh, going on, or death-noting montage, uh, we're taken to Japan where there has been a mass killing between two Yakuza gangs, uh, and we get to meet Light for the first time. And what sucks is this is the only scene that we get boobs. We get boobs on some dead uh, strippers, I guess, that are just, like, killed off randomly, like... We get all this death. You think we could get one pair of boobs? We could get Mia's boobs for one scene. I know she's supposed to be like a teenager, but, you know, Fast Times at Ridgemont High did it. Why can't you? I don't want to see dead boobs all the time. L <laughs> uh, is a weird character. And I'm not just talking about, like, oh, eccentric and stuff like that. No, it's just weird. From the way that he talks, to the way that he moves around, to the fact that uh, he's covering his face right now and we don't know why. You can kind of guess why later on, but right now we really don't know. Uh, he's basically uh, is followed by his hetero life partner, uh, his watchman, um, rando Japanese guy. That's Watari that comes along with him, who's got the weirdest fucking haircut in the world. I mean, it's like a strip of hair. He's got a landing strip on his head, okay? Uh, it's a little bit longer than your normal landing strip. Uh, and if you don't know what landing strip is, go look it up. Please, Urban Dictionary. Uh, and he explains, L explains to Watari that he's tricked Light into this situation, right? And because he posted it out there on some like crime websites or whatever it is. However, Light's getting his information, or he believes that Light is, because he's like super detective, um, that he knows that Light is not in Japan. Oh, that Kira, I should say, is not in Japan. Because Light has now assumed the moniker of Kira, which, again, and you heard in the clip which means light in Russian and killer in Japanese. Well, you know, Kira, you know, that's the way it should be. And what I hate, too, is that L can't fucking pronounce Kira, uh, like, constantly. And it goes from Kira to Kira to Kira to what... Like, it's horrible. 
It's just fucking katakana. That's all it is. And even when you look inside, when they showed the name Kira in the book, they showed it in katakana, which is one of the ways that you can write in Japanese. You know, you got katakana, hiragana, and kanji. Kanji, the big freaking complicated ones that I don't know how to fucking write. But, uh, you know, my knowledge of hiragana and katakana are pretty well. But katakana is kindly mostly used for uh foreign words right so killer example if that doesn't exist in anything and killer is a word that they take it's written in katakana so it's not a japanese centric word it's not a predominantly it's basically kind of think about it this way it's been imported into the language uh and that would be written in katakana so now that's your Japanese lesson for today, and I'm pretty sure that my Japanese listeners will fucking correct me in some way, shape, or form, and I welcome that, uh, and please keep listening. So, <clears throat> they drive off, and the I guess the trap has now been set by L, and we get this really weird conversation in the car between L and Watari. How long since you've slept? 41 hours. And you're certain of your conclusions? Yes. The insulin spike from the candies will focus your mind for final consideration. When it fades, you asleep for one hour. Wear these to properly prepare your body clock. I've been contemplating several different strategies. I honestly don't know that I'll be able to sleep. Sleep is key to strong thought. Yes. Would you mind singing a song for me? Of course. You're out of the woods, you're out of the dark, you're out of the night. Step into the sun, step into the light. Keep straight ahead for the most glorious place on the face of the earth and the sky. Okay, besides this being fucking weird as all hell, uh, there's a couple things we need to break down here. The first is the one that bothers me the most out of this whole fucking conversation. And it's the fact that L asks, Would you mind singing for me? And then he goes... Of course. Okay, so then you don't fucking sing, right? Of course you mind. I mind singing a song is basically what you fucking said to him. I understand the way that the context can take it in terms of, of course, I'll sing for you. That's not a problem. Uh, he just had a set of, of course I don't mind. Uh, not a problem. Of course not. Of course not would have been fucking fine but this is not the way this fucking works i know this is minor fucking bitching here but this fucking bothered the shit out of me when i heard it the first time big fucking notes of course then you don't fucking sing to him the other thing is what the fuck is that thing on his face he puts on these like glasses with this blue light and every way that you see light until one point in the scene his face is constantly obscured by something so you never get to see his face fully from the moment that he we meet him he's wearing something over the bottom of his face and you only see his eyes to this point where we first focus on him taking the gummy bear and chewing it in his mouth to him putting the glasses on removing the bottom uh and 
and then taking off the top, or he's still actually leaving the hoodie on at this point. Uh, but we don't get a clear look at his face. And I think that's fucking fantastic, especially up until the point that we actually get to see his face in the big reveal and the scene that it happens in. So it's, you know, we see them fly back now to the U.S. They're going to Seattle, and we find out that Light's dad, or Kira's dad, has now been put on the case of Kira. Uh, And so we see him, you know, Light's like a little worried about it, but not really. He thinks that he can get away with it because, you know, he can stay one step ahead of his dad. Uh, But his dad goes in there and he goes into his office and is trashed by the people he works with where it says, eat shit on the back of the wall. Which is honestly kind of fucked up if you think about it, that they let these people... You would know who goes in and out of this place. And I guess they're kind of like, oh, well, they really respect what, I guess, Light slash Kira is doing. uh, And they don't want him investigating the case. And the dad does say something to that extent in just a second. But it's still kind of fucked up that the people that work there would just let it happen. Oh, it's happened, and everybody knows that it's happened. And when he goes in and see it, nobody fucking says anything because they're all either fucking cowards or they agree with what's going on with the whole, you know, God of Death thing that's happening. Light's dad is then called upstairs to go ahead and meet with Watari. And what's funny in the beginning is that he... When he meets Watari, he hands him, like, he says, I am Watari. And then he hands him a business card that just says Watari on it. Like, I understand that maybe there might be other information, but you say who you are, and then you just hand a business card that just has your name on it. Like, nothing else. And it's so weird. It's just completely weird, and I don't get it. And it's like one of those things where it's like, I feel like it's weird for being sake of weird, which I feel like L is for this whole fucking movie. But anyway, Watari uh, breaks down why he's there, and then he tells him that L wants to help him out. Your fellow officers did that. Cops don't like it when you go after other cops. But apparently they hate it when you go after their god. They support Kira. Kira's practically doing away with the most wanted list. These guys want to throw him a parade. But now that rumor has it, Kira's a cop. It's in my world. The idea that Kira is associated with law enforcement is not the rumor. It is a fact uncovered by the individual I work with. Oh yeah, and who's that? He goes by the letter L. L is real? You're familiar. I hear things. A giant smuggling ring in Eastern Europe. Practically handed to police on a platter. I would like to speak with you regarding the Kira investigation. Okay. When? Right now. So he meets with L for the first time in his office. L is a little impressed with the stuff that he's got around, but he has to act so fucking weird that it's just really fucking annoying. We cut back over to Kira and Mia, or Light and Mia, whoever the fuck you want to fucking call them. Uh, and they're, you know, now looking at this is suddenly fucking become persona 5 like they've got a fucking fan site now that's been set up where people are leaving the people that they should be killing and of course light is a little bit worried about it because he's kind of like well what if somebody puts up there that you know this guy is just really fucking my girlfriend and i want to have him killed because she left me for him or something like that then we find out how much of a freak mia actually is this guy killed four people in a house fire I don't know. How do we know that it's real? 
What do you mean? I mean, like, what if somebody fucked your girlfriend and you put him on the list because you just want to kill him? What would you do if some guy fucked you? Oh, I'd kill him. Yeah? Yeah. And you'd kill him? Yeah. You'd kill him? Okay, yep, yeah, but, but that is the exact reason why we can't kill people based on website rumors. It's not like that. These are real people with real problems, and they've all been ignored. Yeah, it's just... Like, honestly, she starts getting turned on by the fact that now he could kill somebody for her. Oh, what would you do if somebody fucked me? Oh, I'd totally kill him, because that means that I could get more poontang. Like, why wouldn't you just fucking kill her, then? Like, kill them both. If you're gonna kill one, just kill the other two, because it's not like she's totally innocent on the whole situation. But I don't want to get into that too far. From here, we cut over and we see that the dad now is walking through a giant warehouse. And all of the information that he's put together is all on these different charts. People are looking at them. And then finally, he sits down and he has a conversation with Elle. Uh, and again, it's just fucking weird. I figured you'd be older. And that I'd be able to see more of your face. Yes, well... I find I'm not in a very trusting mood these days. I took the liberty of moving your evidence to a more secure location. Oh, I can see that. Are you uh, going to let me know? Or? Wow, this is very, very impressive, James. Your men must be proud. Ask your partner how my men think about me these days. So you did all of this yourself? Even more impressive. Okay, so L actually is kind of impressed in the way that the dad handles everything uh, in terms of this investigation since he's been able to do it primarily on his own since most of the cops don't want to actually help him because they believe in what he's doing, right? What Light is doing, I should say. This then prompts uh, L to go out and do a fucking, again, weird-ass news conference where he's still hiding his fucking face from everybody that's out there. Uh, and he does this really to try to bring Kira out into the open. Wait, turn on the news. The individual known as Kira, as I'm sure you're aware, has taken credit for over 400 deaths. Oh, shit. While we don't know how he kills his victims, we do know how he chooses them. Prior to his death, all of the victims have had their identities released to the media. This would suggest that Kida is not some omnipotent force. He's a person. Like you or me. He's also a coward. A child wielding power he does not understand, mistakenly believing in doing so. He's at no risk to himself. He's wrong. Kida, if you're watching this, know that I'm coming for you. Unless, of course, you'd like to kill me right now. for this guy. Just shut the fuck up. No. Well, in that case, Kida, I shall be meeting you face to face very shortly. Who does this guy think he is? <laughs> I still fucking love Willem Dafoe's laugh. Like, I could listen to the end of that, like, over and over and over again. Though, eventually, I'd probably have a mental breakdown and start crying curled in the fetal position on the floor because I've listened to Willa Defoe's laugh for way too fucking long. 
We can see that Light is shaken up by this news conference that L has done because he never thought that anybody would be able to figure out exactly where he was, and it's obvious that L has. L also, while he's walking away from the news conference and Light's dad calls him an idiot for doing it, he has figured out that somehow, I don't know how he figured this out, but that he needs the face of the person to be able to do anything. He knows nothing of the Death Note, knows nothing of the rules, but somehow has managed to figure out, hey, you need to have the face of the person to be able to kill him. And that's one of the reasons why he's covering his face. He figured that if he didn't show his face, he would either be dead right now if that didn't matter, or he'd be living if it did matter, and it happened that it does matter if you see the person's face or not. Which, again, I believe is rule number two of the Death Note. From here, we go back to Light and his dad's house, and his dad is looking over some stuff on the table, kind of mumbling to himself. That's when Light kind of comes out of the shadows, and I kind of like that scene, the way that it looks when he does kind of like appear randomly, uh, to ask his dad more about who L is to figure out if he knows what his actual name is. I saw the press conference today. Is that guy on TV with the turtleneck? You like that look? I even take it myself. Hmm. Goes by L. He's an independent investigator. Wow, so you don't even know his real name. Well, about the only thing I know is he's got some handler named Watari. Really likes ice cream. He's connected an awful lot of dots. You think maybe he's connected the dots because he's Kira? I don't think so. He has a history of cracking big cases. Besides, I think you can tell when you're sitting across from a killer like Kira. Right. What happens when they catch Kira? Well, he's murdered over 400 people, so... I guess probably going to be a fight between those who want to hang him and those who want to dissect him and figure out how he did it. You okay? Yeah. So again, this kind of freaks out Light with this whole situation that's going on. Because he can't put a name to him, so he can't just off fucking L right now. And he decides that maybe it's the best thing if he just kind of lays low. L does kind of suspect that Kira could be Light at this point in the film. And it's more or less like he's like, we got to make sure that we put everybody on this, right? So we're going to have people tell everybody that has any type of connection to the police database. And what better than your son, right, who can access your stuff from your location or may know how to log into your police files because you're a bad fucking cop. So I'm going to have the FBI trail him around. This, of course, sparks up a discourse between Mia and Light, where Mia is like, just fucking go and kill these FBI guys. And Light's like, I can't do that because that would make everything look horrible. And so she kind of gets pissed off and she leaves. Of course, all she wants to do is fucking kill. Man, wouldn't that be a great fuck? All she wants to do is fucking kill every day until she dies, says the guy next to me out of nowhere. Um, oh, sorry. I, I don't think we need to get all she wants to do is fucking kill until the sun comes up on wherever the fuck they are in seattle 
Okay. <laughs> that's that's all the singing you'll get for this one. Uh, so uh, she leaves uh, kind of upset, and he's like, oh, come on, we can watch the news, and we can find some guys to kill. And she's like, no, I don't want to do it. Uh, and then we go into a killing montage again, where we see all the FBI agents. Basically, we see one dude, he has a heart attack. And then we see the guy that's one of the guys that's been trailing and following light. Like he and a bunch of other different guys, they're all walking around. And it's actually kind of a cool little scene. Um, it's a little long for my taste, kind of like padded a little bit. But they take the elevators upstairs, they walk to the top of a building, and then they all jump off. And we get them in the, uh, the way the scene's done is pretty well. And then you even see them hit the fucking ground. If there's one thing, again, I need to applaud fucking Adam Wingard for, is the fact that he's not fucking afraid to show people just fucking splatter themselves all over the place, or how gruesome the deaths could be. Because there are a lot of slow parts in this film, especially this middle part, uh, and it things like this kind of make it okay. <laughs> like, like you, I can stand it because I get to see these deaths, and when I get to see the deaths, they're not just quick cutaways, or they're not just whatever they're... They're pretty fucking brutal, uh, and uh, at least we get to actually see what happens. Cut now to the school, and Light is upset the fact that these guys from the FBI are dying, and he didn't tell Ryuk to do any of it. And he believes that Ryuk has found a loophole. Mia's just glad that these people are dead, right? He's like, well, now they're going to stop following you. Now they don't believe that it's you. You can continue to do what you need to do, and they'll get off your case. Uh, and he's just like, no, I just really didn't want to kill anybody for the time being, and I didn't want to kill innocent people, even if they're following me around and making my life hell. That's when he goes back home, and he has a little bit of a confrontation with Ryuk. You think I'm some dog light? You can just snap your fingers and I'll come running? Did you kill those FBI agents? What do you think? I decide who dies. You obey me. Those are the rules. And who do you think wrote the rules? Whose side are you on? There are no sides. Only the game. And I knew eventually you wouldn't be able to handle playing. I asked politely, but you didn't hear me. Let the note go. Look at the strife it's causing you and your little girlfriend. Let me find it a new home. We'll be free of each other. I'm not going to give the note to you or anybody else. And if you fuck with me again, I'm going to put your name in it. <laughs> You could try, <laughs> but I warn you, there are four letters in my name. Most anyone's ever gotten were two. Why would you think, too, that you'd be able to do that anyway? I mean, you're dealing with a Shinigami here, right? This guy, or thing, or whatever the fuck he is, has been around for a really long fucking time, and you think you could just kill uh, a Shinigami or kill a death god? Honestly, you think that you could really do that? Put his name. Why would you even bother fucking threatening him? Of course, that's the only thing that Ryu can do is laugh. But it kind of begs the question: What type of loophole is here? If he is bound by the Death Note, something else must be going on. How is he just doing it on his own? That is something that we find out much later in the film. But I'm pretty sure at this point you can figure out what exactly happened. So, from here, we then go to the press conference where Light's dad is uh, basically vowing that he is going to catch Kira no matter what. And 
uh, Light, he's watching it, and now between him and Mia, I don't know why. She always seems to be around whenever these news conferences are going on, either by watching it, notifying him, or just being around at the same time. And she lets him know, like, like look, you're going to have to kill your dad. And he's like, I can't kill my dad. He has to make that decision. Does he kill his dad right then and there, or wait a little bit, and so that way he can get away, or does he just do nothing and figure out a way how to get out of the situation well ultimately he does choose not to kill his dad which again pisses mia off i can't believe you can't do this why can't you just kill your fucking father man i know he's the only thing that he's got going in your life but she loves you light she fucking loves you she tells you that she loves you and that you got to make sure that everything is right uh shortly thereafter we cut and we see that light is in a cafe and he's reading on books. And this is where we get to see the images of the drawn versions of Ryuk uh, in these things that he's reading. Because he's reading up on uh, Shinigamis. And then out of the middle of nowhere pops L. And they have their very first confrontation. Now I wanted to split this up into multiple types of clips to talk about it. But instead what I've decided to do. And this is the longest clip probably I've played in a long ass time. This is about a two-minute clip. Please just sit through it because it's got some really great points. Probably got some of the best acting between the two of these characters in the film and the two of these actors in the film. Some of the best lines in the film uh, and is just overall interesting. This is also where about halfway through it, we get to see Elle's face for the very first time in the entire film. And then he's always visible. So... Like I said, it's a long-ass meeting, but it's worth the listen. Hello, Light. Oh, um, you're the guy. You're L. Well, that's not my real name, but I'm sure you're painfully aware of that. What what are you doing here? Following the lead. You? Um, I was just, I'm leaving. I wonder... If it was a difficult decision. If w- what was a difficult decision? Sparing your father's life. I'm sorry, what are you talking about? Well, you must have known it would implicate you, yet you couldn't bring yourself to do it. I'll admit, I-, I always wondered if you had a line. I guess it fortunate for us, the line you finally decided to draw points so clearly in your direction. So you really think that I'm Kira? No, I know it. Well, if you're so sure, then why have you just arrested me? Oh, because I don't do check light. Only checkmate. But we'll be there soon enough. Great. Well, until then, enjoy the gelato. Assuming you can eat through that thing. And I'll just, uh... Can I ask you something? Yeah. How do you think he does it? Kira. I was actually hoping you could shed some light on that for me. I have a theory. I think that it's some form of remote viewing, coupled with maybe some latent psychic ability of some sort. I'm close. So you really have no idea, do you? Well, I have several ideas. Eventually, you'll tell me which is correct. What if it turned out that all arresting Kira did was give that power to someone else, someone potentially much worse? You're suggesting the ability is somehow transferable. I'm suggesting that maybe what you and the person you're after want isn't so different, and maybe they're as ready to see the killing end as you are. And if that were true, perhaps now would be a good time to start helping them instead of hunting them. Helping. You know what I think, Light? I think 
you want to make a deal. Good deals are made by those in a position of strength. Criminals such as yourself never make those deals. What they do is wait until they're caught, and then they beg. I'm not begging. I'm telling you that you don't understand. Let me put this in terms you're more familiar with. A man kills 400 people. He tells us that it's complicated, that he's misunderstood. Do you think that Keto would hear his excuses? Or do you think that he'd walk him off a bridge? You think you're better than me, but you're just trying to kill Kira. No. Kira, Kira, kill I Kira. I do not kill, Light. I don't even carry a gun. It's distracting. What I do is bring people to justice. But the form it takes is of their own making, a consequence of their actions, not mine. You're the one who flew into the sun. I'm just here to make sure you actually burn. That is my favorite fucking line in this entire script, in this entire fucking movie. It is so good, and it is. I feel like it's wasted in this film, but it is worth it just to hear that, specifically. But you see how there is the battle between the two, and he's trying to kind of explain himself. He's not, Light is not doing a very good job in the scene of pretending that he's not Kira, right? Uh... And L really, truly is, like, so headstrong with justice and proving that he is right, right? That he can't see that there is a difference. Well, there's not a whole lot of difference between the two of them. It's like, why why do you think I'm killing? They're both kind of the same. They both want justice. It's just that L wants justice and then the process of it. So you look at the two. One is chaotic good, one is lawful good, right? Light is the chaotic good one. He's the one that's killing the bad guys, and he's just killing indiscriminately. If you're a bad guy, you are fucking dying. That's it. I'm just going to go out there, I'm going to put your name in the book, I'm going to do all the stuff that I'm going to do. And But he's kind of ready for all the killing to end because he's getting caught. It's not because he's like sick of doing it, it's that... He realizes that maybe it's going to ruin his life because it's going to ruin his father's life. It's going to ruin his relationship with Mia. Uh, and ultimately, when if he does get caught with it, that's it. He just wants it to end. And really, all he has to do, like Ryuk has been saying, is put the book somewhere, let it sit for seven days, and then I'll find somebody that'll do it. But what they don't get into here, which maybe they'll get into in sequels, uh, that maybe, and maybe this is a spoiler, but... The Shinigami is always the the one to write the name of uh, the keeper into the book. He, that's always the last name that's there before it transfers over to a new keeper. And it always is the Shinigami that does it. With this, we don't get the, we get the sense that yeah, you put it away for seven days. Since we don't really know that, we just kind of assume if that's just a, the easy way out, why doesn't he just do it? I don't want to kill anymore. I don't want to do this stuff. He should just leave the book somewhere and be done with it. But maybe he does know and maybe that got cut out and that would have been like an extra on like a DVD or something like that. I don't know. Or is that something that they're saving for another movie or something maybe that was there uh, and you just missed it? I don't know if they're even going to go into that type of thing. Uh, when it comes to L, though, he's definitely the lawful good character, right? He wants to f- get these people. He believes that 
Kira is evil, or in in sense, light is evil because he's just killing people. It doesn't matter if these are bad people or not because that's not the way that you go about it. You go about it by doing your detective work and then going and making sure that you find the person, you arrest them for the right reasons. Really, the one that's kind of stuck in the middle between the two worlds is Light's dad, right? So if you run the the gamut of D and D style alignments, I would say that his dad is a neutral good person. He still believes in the law, right? But he doesn't necessarily think that Kira's evil, except for now that he's killed a bunch of FBI agents, supposedly. But we right now know that that wasn't Light, so that's somebody else doing Light's job for him, right? And in well we'll talk about it a little later on as we get into the film i hate again hate doing that but i don't want to jump too far ahead from where we are in the movie so after this meeting is done light and mia they meet together and they decide that the best way to get rid of this problem truly is to learn what l's name is because he just goes by l we don't know anything else about him and now we get a scene where they do know who Watari's name is, and they're able to get a facial image of him. And he decides that he's going to use Watari to figure out, to get what L's real name is. And the way that he's going to do it is he's going to write in the death note, right? Because now when you write somebody's name in the death note, you can manipulate them in some way. Remember from what Ryuk said in, earlier in the film, for at least two days. So he decides that, hey, I'm going to use Otari to go and find out what L's name is. I'm going to make him obsessed and he's going to only reply to this specific phone number. And again, this must be much earlier on because Light, he's got a fucking flip phone. Like, they couldn't uh, this is obviously reflecting the time of when the manga was originally written or maybe even we reflected upon the anime but this is like 2006 2007 around that time if this actually is the time and i guess flip phones would have been still a thing if that was it back then but if you're trying to reflect modern society uh like L himself, he's got a smartphone, a normal, looks like an Apple or some shit like that. I don't know. It could be one of those Android phones. It could be a fucking track phone, you know, normal one. And we also, we kind of think, well, your dad's like a big detective or something like that. You probably have money for a decent phone unless, you know, you're also selling all those fucking, like, tests. Couldn't you use that test money to go get yourself a fucking decent phone? You don't have to use a flip phone all the time unless it's a burner phone because you're worried that people are like going to follow you and you're writing down people's names in a death note trying to, you know, get away with killing people. I bet you that's what it is. It's just a fucking burner phone for this time and day and age. And most of those are probably flip phones as it is. But anyway, uh, yeah, he wants Watari to only call the flip phone. And uh, basically, when he finds out what the name is, tell him what the fuck else names is. Now... This, I'm going to play for you, and I was thinking about not doing it originally, but uh, I think it's worth it, because it's the way that they talk, and what I want you to think about when you listen to this one is the difference between an anime and a movie, and we'll talk about it after. Hello? My name is Watari. This information is not known to me. I'm sorry, what do you mean? I took responsibility for L only after he left the St. Martin's Orphanage in Montauk where he was one of the Rochester Wards. What is, sorry, what is the Rochester Ward? They were orphans trained since childhood to become the greatest detectives the world had ever seen. You've got to be kidding me. I am not. 
where the first test awards were placed in a conditioning vault. Those who retained their sanity after seven months were initiated into the program. They all joined at six, the youngest candidate ever. Okay, but what was his name? What was his name before the vault or whatever? That name exists now only in their record. Okay, okay. Watari, um, you need to go there right now. I should like to rest first. Sleep is key to strong thought. No, no, no. You don't have any time to sleep, okay? You have 48 hours to get a name. What happens in 48 hours? You just need to go right now. I will go. Now, that type of exposition belongs in an anime. You don't necessarily have to put it into this. You could do something a little different. I understand that L is very eccentric, especially in this film. But in general, we don't have to go through the whole, oh, he was uh, six years old and he was uh, put through this rigmarole of being one of the greatest detectives in the world. And I get it. It's part of the story. But one of the things that you could have changed could have been that, to be honest, to not have such like ridiculous sounding for somebody that's never seen the anime before and just saw ooh death note and it's directed by adam wingard and uh i think that's enough for me to see it and don't know the source material at all it sounds so ridiculous but if you do know the source material you're like okay i get it but that is something that truly belongs in a manga or an anime it doesn't necessarily belong in a live action movie uh but you know it's kind of that's more my opinion than anything else and fuck that's all this is right it's just opinions so uh he disappears and that freaks out l when l tries to get a hold of him and he figures that light has something to do with it so the next day uh they're all sitting down to dinner well dad light and mia and that's when l breaks in and he threatens uh light and he has a warrant for his arrest hello nice to meet you Leave? What are you doing here? We have a critical issue that requires discussion immediately. Kids, give us a couple minutes. Sure. No, wait, 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 wait. Not you, Light. The discussion concerns you. How? Watsidi has disappeared. I've known him my entire life. He has not would not, could not leave without me being sure of his plans. Okay, let me make a call. What is it that you want? Sorry, I don't have any idea. I get that this has got you upset. Your son is Keita, James! What? And I don't know why you haven't been able to put one and one together, even despite him having spared your life, but it does not speak well to your deductive abilities at all. I want to start for you to leave. I'm not going anywhere. More fucking bet? I have a search warrant and a team of men outside, so as I said, I will be staying. You, you have managed a strong move. Now, provided that you return Watson to me safely, I'm willing to put your position of strength into account. I'm really sorry about your friend. I'm sure he'll be fine. You have crossed the line. Forced me to do the same, and I implore you. You will not survive. First, I want to talk about the way that L pronounces. So, Watari, right? He kind of like stumbles over, but it's not so bad. Not so bad. But who the hell is Kida? Okay, it's Kira. Kira, 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 Kira. Not Kira. It's he, even when he spoke Japanese earlier in the film. And yes, there was a scene where he spoke Japanese. He didn't sound terrible. Okay, 
Uh, it was very fast, just like the way that he acts here. But he also sounds in this scene like he talks about how Light or Kira is like this young kid that doesn't really know he is a whiny fucking bitch in the scene well i kind of understand because watati is kind of like his father figure and the person that's been with him is his, his keeper and has kept him for a long time and now light has taken him away but what he doesn't realize is that light is trying to let him live uh so i didn't explain we didn't include that he can burn one page and if he burns the page the people that are on that page uh will not die so anybody who's on that page by themselves uh they'll be alive and i'm assuming if there are multiple people on that page and you burn that one page that they won't die as well uh and since he wrote down this whole thing for watari uh, he only has one uh he well he's gonna burn the page once he figure out who L's name is what is he going to do to that extent he's going to write L's name in the book or is he going to take L's real name and he's going to threaten him and say hey you drop this you leave this alone or I'm writing your name in the goddamn death note and then you're going to die I'm assuming it's probably that one because he wants to go live just a happy life by himself forget the whole things going on and and move forward with that but of course we don't know the true plans all we know is that he wants to figure out what his name is and this is part of what the uh what's kind of pushing l to some extent towards this part of the movie but he's more worried right now because he doesn't know the full plan but he's more worried about what light and kira are doing to uh watari so he checks the whole house and then in the scene mia is dismissed by the way and mia of course runs upstairs and you know that she's going to grab the death note and hold on to it uh there's worries from uh well ryuk shows up and ryuk tells uh light that you know if you don't find the book within seven days then i'm going to pass it on to a new keeper and you know we know kind of where it's going and that he's going to at least be able to get the book back we cut over to Watari, who's now arrived in the forest in some place in New York, and goes through this like funhouse type of like residence, trying to find out where the record room is for, uh, you know, to find out what Elle's true name is. Elle is seen contemplating what Light could possibly want with Watari, and then he figures it out. Like you don't hear him out loud say anything, but he figure what's going on, and so he sends. Uh, or calls the New York office to find out where Watari is. And surprisingly, they show up extremely fast to that location. Meanwhile, while everything is going on and, you know, Mia lets Light know that she's got the book, they're going to have, like, the Under the Sea dance. So he's going to go up on stage soon, play Johnny Be Good, hope that the rest of his family doesn't disappear from the photo, and then also at the same time make sure that Watari, he gets the information before it's too late. While at the dance, she gives him the most ridiculous top hat, and he's wearing a bow tie, and you know what I say, never trust a guy with a death note and a bow tie, because he's probably going to write your name into it. She switches hats with somebody else that's about his height, and then he runs off to go grab the death note, call uh, Watari, and figure out what L's true name is. While Watari is still looking through the records, the people that L sent his way are now arriving upon this cabin in the woods type funhouse place. And what 
I also forgot to say is when he wrote his name down in the book, he gave free reign of how he's going to die. He said dealer's choice. So you know something is probably going to happen in this situation. So Light does call Watari and tries to figure out if he's found out what L's true name is. Where are you? Located the records room, but I will need more time. We've only got a few minutes. Is it there or not? I am confident it is here, but I cannot yet say where. Fuck it, fuck it, fuck it, forget it. Just forget it. No, 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 Mio, what are you doing? Do where the page! Wittari, you have to run. You have to run right now, okay? You have to run away. You have to run away as quick as you can. Someone's here. Someone there to just go to them right now and ask for their help. Obsessed with revealing the true identity of. Yes. It's here. What does it say that it is? Elf's true name. What does it say that it is? What is Elf's real name? Sir, answer me! Are you Watari? I am Watari. Watari! Ah, you said dealer's choice. <laughs> But then what would you and me have to talk about? I told you I like her a lot, Light. <laughs> so, a couple things that went on here in this uh, little part. One, when he goes down, Watari goes into the location where all the papers are kept. They are kept in pretty immaculate shape for it being, I don't know how many years, at least ten, maybe uh, since maybe this place was shut down. Why was it shut down? We don't fucking know, but it's completely overgrown. It looks like it's been fucking shut down for like 20 years, but L is supposed to be pretty young around Light's age, right? So I'm assuming Light is like 17 or 16, and so L has to be around that age as well. Maybe he's a little older. Maybe he's in his early 20s, like 20, 21, somewhere around there. But he's supposed to be pretty young for being such a good detective. So let's say he entered the society at five years old. Well, then did he leave when he was six? When did he go under Watari's, like, freaking, you know, tutelage uh, for this whole thing? Was it 10? So let's say he's 20. So he got out of there at 10. It takes 10 years for it to get that fucking decrepit and overgrown. And then the fact that it looks that bad and there's water fucking still dripping downstairs on the files. Why are they still good? They're still pretty fucking good. Maybe it's one of those fire safes that are impossible to move. And they were just like, fuck it. We're just going to leave all these files here because I don't want to fucking carry that bullshit. We need to make sure that it's all locked down here. But people know how to get in here, including the New York branch. What the fuck, man? Like, how does everybody know how to get down there? And then, of course, uh, when they're Light's about to say, fuck it, I'm just going to burn it, I don't want to kill you, before he figures out what the name is, he finds that that page is missing. And that's why Watari ends up getting shot and killed by the other people. What's also cool is that if you noticed earlier in the film, uh, the Shinigami Ryuk, he said that when the last stages of their life, a Shinigami is always around them. And as we're getting towards the point where Watari is going to be killed, 
you see images of Ryuk down there and that he's the one that's going to be carrying this out. So now with what Tari did and with the revelation at this point, and this is about 20 minutes left or more to go in the film. Uh, it's probably closer to 30 minutes at this point. We get the start of Act 3 where we figure out that Mia is the one that <laughs> tore out the page from the book. Because as Ryuk has stated, he likes her. Because she just went off and fucking killed indiscriminately. And so now that he's fucking figured, started to figure things out, he goes back to the dance. And as they're dancing to that cheesy ass music in the background, she breaks it open to him. I know you're probably upset. But if you freak out, they're going to be all over us, and that's not going to end well. You killed him. No light. I saved you from yourself again. Because every time things get hard, you leave me to do the real stuff. My God, it was all you. Rigner found a loophole. You were the loophole. You don't get to feel superior for being a pussy. Okay, okay, okay. Here's a problem that I have right here. I know there's a lot of problems, but we'll get into the rest of what's going to go on afterwards and the rest of her speech and what she exactly did and wrote in the damn thing. But you can remove pieces of the Death Note and somebody else can use it? I thought the rule was that the Keeper's the only one that's allowed to write in the goddamn book. So the Keeper can write in the book and he's the one that determines who lives, who dies, unless... You are another keeper of a different death note. See, when we take Mia from this situation and when we go to what Misa was, who also was in love with Light, when her character from the anime was that of another death god. Uh, Well, or not, well, I guess you could kind of say death god, but another keeper of the death note, right? And had her own Shinigami. And the other thing that she had was she gave up. Uh, part of her life the length of her life to have the death god's eyes uh and he in the in the series uh, and the books i guess as well uh is constantly um urged by ryuk to do the same to get the shinigami's eyes and not rely on ryuk all the time and that's a running theme which is also going to shorten his life But that doesn't come into play at any point in this movie. All we know is that for somehow, some way, some shape, some form, she's able to remove pages and write her own things. Even though the Shinigami has nothing to do with it. Like, he carries it out, right? It's written in there, he's going to do it, but she's not a keeper of the book. So how does that work? Never fucking explained. It's never fucking talked about. All we know is that... Ryuk likes her, so I guess if Ryuk likes her, then she can go on and do whatever the fuck she wants. And maybe that's going to be his next keeper. So he's like, well, if uh, you die or you get rid of the book, then she's going to take over. So I'm cool with her doing whatever needs to be done. Well, okay, you might as well tell us how you did everything, Mia. Agent Raymond Young. We'll write the names of all the other agents in the Kira Task Force in the Death Note, placing each of their faces in his mind as he goes. When he's done, he will join them in climbing to a rooftop and leaping to his death. You want out. You're out. All I need is for you to give me the book. 
Are you insane? Do you think that I would ever let you near that thing again? You didn't read it. What did you do? Light Turner's heart stops beating at midnight. You're trying to kill me? You're going to officially pass the book to me. And then once I'm the keeper, I'll burn your page. That's why I couldn't let you say Wadar. You can only burn one name, and I wanted it to be yours. There's so many fucking rules. Okay, I guess this is supposed to be the big fucking twist in this movie, but there definitely is another twist that we're going to talk about later on. She's a bitch. (laughs) I don't care. Like, this made me like the character a little more, but I don't like the direction that they're taking it, right? That all of a sudden she wants to be the death god because she she thinks that he's too big of a pussy to fucking do this anymore, which, honestly, she's right. Um... At least from what we see about Light in this, you know, first little part here. And so he kind of ditches her there to go look in the Death Note to read what she actually wrote and whether or not it is true. We kind of also cut over to L at this point who finds out that Watari has died. And now he's going on his own little manhunt after Light. He also says he doesn't carry a gun, but he has one. Like, and it's the weirdest fucking looking gun that there is. Like, you're fucking hypocrite. I don't carry a gun because it's cumbersome. Yet, you still have one, and now you're going to chase after him with a fucking gun. Are you going to use a gun? Or are you not going to use a gun? You're that upset that you're going to go after him? You're just going to fucking kill him? Well, I guess that's the way it goes. When, also, Light does figure out that, yes, he's going to die at the end of the night... So he tells Mia that she needs to meet him by the big Ferris wheel that's on the pier, where we're going to have one of our climactic movie moments. He starts running to go meet her, and she tells him, everybody's fucking following you. Uh, And meanwhile, in the computer room, he is writing stuff into the Death Note, which we don't know exactly is at this moment. We know that he's looking up people... Uh, in faces and names he's writing down information but then when the police start closing in on him he starts to bolt for the pier l has now stolen a police car and is on the run trying to catch light uh eventually he does catch up to him and there is a kind of a neat chase through buildings uh with l running weirdly light running weirdly and eventually L does catch up to Light, uh, to which Light tries to reason with him and explain what is going on. Wait, wait, wait! Didn't I clearly explain what would happen if Watson wasn't safely returned to me? Wait, you need to understand how it works, okay? Or you can't stop it. I couldn't stop it. Death give me handed that through a fucking calculus book. Stall it! No, I'm not. I swear to God, I'm not, okay? I'm just gonna turn around really slowly. Okay. I'm gonna reach into my bag. Don't move! Do not move! This man is Keita. I'm working with law enforcement in order to capture and eliminate... Okay, I thought that was kind of funny and pretty good. I mean, L gets what he deserves by telling the people that... Remember, at this point, there are some people that still believe what 
uh, Kira has done is correct. He could have just said that this is a criminal and I'm just trying to take him in. Please don't just stay away. But he has to tell them because I think his ego has to let that out. Like, I'm the one that's going to catch Kira. So I have Kira in my grasp. And that totally fucking backfires on him because this guy believes in Lord Kira, as he says, and knocks L the fuck out which gets a light chance to go to the pier and to go to the seattle great wheel as it's called so he meets up with mia and he tells her that we need to get on the ferris wheel now and he tells the ferris wheel operator to uh start them up he shoots the uh control box so that they're stuck up in the air and they have uh he also you know she thinks that he's gonna kill her and he's like no no i'm not gonna do it so he throws the gun out and then he tries to reason with her and explain to her that they can totally do this and totally just be together and he really sounds like a whiny bitch in this scene we gotta stop doing this we gotta gotta stop doing all this it's already done let's just run away together and never use the death note again Take it, but just remember what it's done, not just out there, but to us. You love me. If you love me, then you gotta trust me. Don't take the book. Because if you do, you'll never see me again. So this is where I feel the film kind of goes off the rails is in these last like 15 minutes of the movie basically the plan is is that he does not want her to take the book right and when he does so like when she does then here's Ryuk he shows up and starts the madness and the chaos and he tells her all she had to do was not take the book because he had written her name in there that if she took the book that she would die and but that's not all there's a lot more that happens in this scene that is explained later that becomes even bigger bullshit but i i just don't understand it like why did we have to have this stupid twist? Why did we also have to have the way that everything worked out? Like, all of a sudden, she just wanted to be the death, the new death note keeper. And he was like, okay, I'm totally done with it. All she had, he had to do was say, okay, I'm willing to give it up. But we obviously know he is not willing to give it up. But what are his reasonings? Does he still want to be the keeper of the note? Does he want to hold on to it so that nothing else happens? Does he still want to fight for justice, truth in the American way? Uh, Or does he just not want this to fall into the wrong hands? We really never know, and it's never really explained past this part, even with the explanation of what happened. Because there's other bullshit that's going to go on here. So... Because she's taken it, Ryuk starts the chain reaction of tearing the Ferris wheel down. Uh, He breaks things apart. He tilts it over. They're hanging on. Oh my god, are they going to make it or are they not going to make it? And of course, they both fall. And Light is able to fall into the water. She 
is not so lucky and she falls to her death and actually i kind of like the way this because she falls into like a bed of flowers but of course she's fallen from so high that she dies but when she hits it like explodes into all these petals and actually looks kind of cool uh and very entertaining uh but of course she's dead uh and then (laughs) the paper with his name on it falls into hobo fire you know, those barrels that hobos light on fire to keep warm. Well, there just happens to be one there. It just happens to fall from the air directly into the hobo fire and burn up. And so the one page that could be burned that happened to has light's name on it has been burned. And now light is not going to die, at least that night, from the Death Note. So the Death Note itself washes upon shore, so does Light. Uh, Some dude picks up the Death Note and walks off, and then we cut over to the next morning. And, of course, everything is, you know, seems like it's been resolved. We've got Light in a coma, and we're here at the police station uh, listening to the police chief, I'm assuming, reprimand L because something else has been happening since Light's been in a coma. Four new killings, and every one of them identified by the news media in the last 48 hours. I understand that you think that this means that Light cannot be keto. You think he's knocking people off while in a coma? I'm not exactly sure how it is. Apparently you have enough highly placed allies to keep you out of jail. But none of that's going to help you if we see you around. That's right, because you put this dude's son into a coma because you were chasing him and caused the girl to die. So L is escorted off the premises by other officers and he is seen climbing onto a plane. Uh, While on the plane, he starts to think about everything that's gone on and he then realizes that there's something else that possibly happened and then he's like, wait, calculus. And he realizes that there's something to do with that book. This triggers in him basically a knowledge that Mia may have been in on the whole situation. And the fact that she's dead may have something to do with it as well. He tells the plane to, you better not take off. And then he rushes over to Mia's place. Meanwhile, we go back into the hospital. And somebody walks in and places the death note on the chest of light. He looks up, he finally wakes up out of his coma, takes the note, and hides it behind his head when his father comes into the room to see him. Uh, From here, we see his father and him uh, have a conversation of what's kind of gone on, and his father admit that he knows that Kira is light. What's wrong? I couldn't figure out how I'd gotten out of my safe. Then it hit me. James Brody wasn't the first victim. It was Anthony Scoma. Well, technically, it was the bully, right? 
But the start of the whole Kira thing in terms of vengeance for people... Yeah, it would still be the bully, but the dad doesn't really know about that. But it's still kind of cool that he was able to put one and one together and ultimately decide that, yes, that was his son. And he's known for a while that it was his son. But how long has he known? Is it just this point in the film after everything's been done? Or is it, uh, you know, much later on? Meanwhile, over in uh, Mia's place, L has found the note that has all the FBI agents on it. And there's a weird uh, kind of back and forth between where everything's going on, uh, where L, he is just, like, he's gone mad, like, with vengeance for a second. And he gets a pen, and it's weird because he actually is writing with his left hand, and maybe that has something to do with his name L, and it's a weird coincidence at this point. And you also have, uh, you know, because Light, he writes with his right hand whenever he writes inside the book. So uh, I don't know if that was on purpose or that's just the actors or whatever it is. But he's really like sitting there and he's about to write the name uh, of Light into the or onto the piece of paper of the Death Note. But he pulls himself away at the last minute because he does not kill, right? He's so angry with rage, but he still doesn't do it. Meanwhile, at the same time, and kind of during those scenes, we have Light explain how exactly the plan went down and what he wrote in the Death Note to make sure that he himself survived. Dr. Norman Ludlum, known for sexually assaulting female patients under sedation. On the night of October 12th, Norman Ludlum is present at the pier when two individuals fall from the northwest Ferris wheel. He rescues a male suspect from the water and manages to revive him, saving his life. Using his connections at the hospital, Ludlum keeps the suspect in a medically induced coma for two days. At the end of this period, he leaps to his death from the roof of the hospital. Aaron Peltz, mailman, retired, molested nearly a dozen children over the span of 20 years. Peltz retrieves the death note from the river on the night of October 12th. Each night, Peltz fills in the blanks in the notebook with the name of criminals who appear on the nightly news. On day two, he returns the death note to the cure suspect and then commits suicide. Okay, so here's the other twist that I was talking about, and that's how did he fucking survive? Because, you know, the the biggest thing that I wonder we're going to find out in the fucking children is how, you know, did we know that the note was going to fall into the fire? Uh, But he planned everything out perfectly before he even was able to run away. Like, he was able to look up fast enough. Okay, I'm going to find a sexual harassment doctor. Uh, No, no, not a panda. I don't need the panda. I need the fucking doctor. And I need to make sure that he works at a specific hospital and then he can save my life. And then after he does, he can fucking kill himself. I don't give a shit because you're a fucking asshole. And then I need to find a pedophile for some reason. And the pedophiles are going to be the one that (laughs) goes over because pedophiles and death notes work perfectly well together and he's going to write names down into the book so that way it looks like l made the wrong fucking decision and it's truly not me that's kira it's somebody else because these deaths are still happening now in the series this happened because of misa because misa was another death note keeper like i've explained before 
And she was the one killing people while Light said, I'm going to go into jail to prove that I'm not Kira. And this actually hooked the two of them up together to go after Kira. And then he met Misa, who said, I love you, and wanted to be with him. And then they were kind of together at that point. Which is crazy, because that's kind of what Mia is, right? But she's not a fucking keeper, unless she would have become one had Light not done what he did when he explains what happened with Mia's death. Mia Sutton is killed when she accepts the death note from her boyfriend. As the Northwest Ferris wheel mysteriously collapses, she pulls the page with my name on it from the note, and it is ultimately consumed by fire. Although her boyfriend lands safely in the water, Mia strikes the shoreline, dying instantly. Okay, so what can we get from this? Um... Maybe he's not the pussy that we all thought that he was. Because he wrote her death. And he explained. And he was trying to get her to not do it. And the thing is, is that he planned it all out. He planned, He manipulated her into taking the book. But he also made her believe that that's not what he did. That he only wrote her name in the book if she'd take it. But it truly was to save his own fucking hide. Uh, he, What? What? Where did this all, like, come from? Where did this type of person come from? From watching the entire fucking movie. Especially the middle section where he's like, Look, I'm killing for the good of this. I would never fucking just kill to kill. And here, he's fucking killed to kill because she killed all... Is he reprimanding her because she killed all those innocent FBI agents? Like, would he have actually gotten away with everything? But no, she actually helped him because he was still so stupid that he was going to get caught. And maybe at the same time, though, if they had figured out who fucking L's name was, we wouldn't have gone down this road either. But it's just, like, how do you... You get it. You manipulated your own fucking girlfriend into fucking killing herself. That's the other big fucking twist. You know, it wasn't about the fact that he wrote her name in the book and that it said, well, if she chooses to, no. He wrote, she dies when she takes the death note from him, from her boyfriend. So she set the whole fucking thing up, or I should say, light. Even though a lot of times, reminds me of a she. But in this case, he he set the whole thing up. He purposely killed her so that she would live. Then... How in the fuck does he do the fucking burning note thing? How? Please explain that to me. I thought he only had, like, fucking control over people. Like, it's not like she ripped it out, rolled into a ball, went, Kobe, whoo, threw it in, and then it landed in there as she was falling to her death. No, she just ripped it out and let it go, and it just happened to fall into the burning fire. What happens if she did that and it didn't get burnt? What if it fell into the water? Your whole plan's fucking, like, a gust of wind happened. Something like that happened. But it didn't. Instead, she managed to magically rip it out enough uh, while she's falling. But he tried to grab onto the book, too. You don't even see her try to grab onto the book. But she's able to do it. And then she lets it go in the right way so it floats merrily into the fucking hobo fire. How fucking stupid is this? You can't. 
can't control the inanimate objects. You're breaking your own fucking rules unless light is now writing the rules of what's going on. I just, I don't, I don't get it. This ending pisses me off. It's just dumb. You have to kill her off uh, in order for him to survive. Okay, maybe I can kind of be with you. The whole falling fucking note thing perfectly into the fire and that he wrote that, that that this would happen it's gonna happen because blah 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 and it's fucking it's fucking stupid is what it is well there's a good question that the father asks the son uh that ends the film and then there's one last time that we get to see ryuk and he seems like he's very excited and then we get the ending song we get to hear the last bit of air supply singing the power of love and the movie ends it's like you said sometimes you gotta choose the lesser of the two evils which one are you son You humans are so interesting. So that was Death Note. Was it good? Would I recommend it? Is it a decent interpretation of the source material? Okay, let's answer the last one first. Is it a decent interpretation? It's not bad. I'm not saying that it's great. I'm not saying it's wonderful. Uh, They changed a lot of things around and some of the rules are kind of confusing and... You know, maybe I'm wrong about some things with my recollection because it's been, you know, five years since I've watched the the anime. Um, it, is it worth watching, you know, for that? I think there are things in this film that are worth watching. And if it truly was, I would have told you in the beginning of the podcast, hey, I want you to watch the movie first. Stop. Go watch it. Listen to this. Let-. No, 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 no. I, I just don't think. I think you can get most of what is going on from this. Uh a lot of it truly is just blah. It's boring, uh, honestly. The middle is kind of boring once they introduce L. Everything up into the point that they introduce L, and even him being kind of a weird type of character, it just doesn't work very well for me. And I'm not saying that the actor's bad. He's from Get Out, is what you probably re- remember him most from. Uh, it's just the way that he does it. It's just so... Uh, and I'm, not, I'm still not sure what I... 
what he was going for when he was doing the role. Like, uh, he's a little nerdy. He's a little needy. He's almost like he's got Asperger's or something like that. I just don't know. It's just so graining on you. And you see him in these scenes and, you know, I like the whole reveal of his face. I think all the way up to that, too. That's an interesting thing that they did. There's a lot of little interesting things that they did. Um, Willem Dafoe fucking killed it. I that is the best fucking thing about this movie. His laugh, like I said, is one of the best things in here, and he sounds like he's having fun being the character. And they show during the ending credits, watch it for a little bit, and at least the scrolling part happens, but they show little things of what they did and little bloopers that went on, but they actually had Willem Dafoe with the motion capture stuff off in the shadows, like being the character in the scene, and that's fucking cool. That That is beyond awesome. So... If he was, you know, not him necessarily, there's somebody there. It makes me believe that some of that stuff that I believe is not, um, that is not CGI and it is practical, that maybe it was CGI and it's just that good to make me believe like it's practical or it's fucking Willem Dafoe sitting there, uh, fucking looking scary as hell and his eyes truly glow, uh, in the darkness. Maybe I'm going to believe that more than anything else, but he's great absolutely great direction wise i like the way the action is shot especially the chase scene i think is pretty good except for the fact that l jumps on a counter to chase after light pretty much just to be a dick he could have just ran through there he literally jumps up on there and there's plenty of room for him to run on the side uh like i said the deaths for the people that are put in the death note that you see they're great uh you know you get one head explosion one head being taken off uh and yes i did say explosion um and a uh, guy falling flat into the ground, the guy hidden by the truck, you know, even when Mia lands, you know, you don't really see, it's not that gruesome, but the way that it's done, I think, is done well. So, the direction of the film, I think, is, in terms of the cinematography, is very good, uh, and I think even some of the choices that he made with the way that certain scenes are set up, you can't really do anything, I mean, to an extent, with the actors, um, Things could be better in the weather scenes, but that scene with L and Light inside of the, I guess what's a gelato shop, ice cream shop, cafe, whatever the fuck it is, is so good. I like that scene so much. So it's worth it to see it just for these little vignettes uh, and to see how they go. So do I suggest that you watch it? If you are a fan of the original source material, I might not. I mean, you you probably won't watch it anyway because you're going to be boycotting the fact that it's Americanized, uh, which I get. Uh, but that, in terms of its localization, it's not as bad as, say, Ghost in the Shell, where it really didn't feel right. Where this, I could see it. You know, things have been kept. It's not terrible. Uh, and it's enjoyable for that fact. Now, is it a good movie? I don't think so. I don't think that this is a very good movie. But it's not a terrible movie, either. It's kind of middle on the road, but it kind of falls flat, even being on the middle of the road side. Uh, it could do better in its pacing. Uh, the fact that they cram so much of the the story of both the manga and the series into such a short amount of time... I could have done an extra half hour if we had more things to do, or we learned more about the the gods, especially, you know, or the Shinigami type of uh, doings is what I'm saying. But the the biggest issue that I have here is that it's set itself up for a fucking sequel right at the fucking end, and Netflix is already talking about a fucking sequel by the time that I'm recording this podcast. Like, 
I you totally set it up that way, and you're surprised. Oh, we're gonna plan a sequel. We just want to let everybody know. No, you left it fucking open like that, and it's stupid. If you're gonna go that far, and you're gonna have that fucking type of an ending where it's gonna be like, okay, he survives, and the dad maybe or maybe not is gonna do anything about him, and L almost writes his name in the thing, and L survives. If you were not going to, you would have killed fucking L. Okay, you would have had him get away, or had them both die at the end of the fucking movie, which I was kind of hoping for, but they didn't. Okay, only Light fucking survived and Mia had to be sacrificed, so that way he did it. I understand why he did it and why the character went that route, but the whole time you see that he's kind of like a, you know, I'm not, uh, I really don't, I'm doing this only for justice, I'm not doing this for any other reason, and then he kind of flip-flops at the end, it's mostly just the same as own fucking hide, you know, it's, it's just fucking stupid. I know it's going to have another movie. I mean, it, like I said, it's set up that way. And I don't like movies when they're set up like this. You don't know how well it's going to do. But the fact of the matter is, is that a lot of people are going to fucking watch this on Netflix, just like I did. And there's a lot of people that within a couple hours of even me seeing this movie, already had a ton of reviews about it. And everything's out there. And so I'm like, you know, one in the fucking crowd that's doing this shit. But I think it's worth it to do something so soon as it's come out. Uh, and... These people that want to see how bad it is are going to watch it. And if you want to see that and you're expecting a train wreck, you're not going to get a train wreck. And there are going to be people that absolutely love this film and completely disagree with everything that I've said so far in this review. And that's fine because you know what? We're all about opinions and this is just mine. I just hope that you, you know, you hear some of the things that I'm saying and that if you decide to watch it, just know that you you may or may not be in for a bunch of bullshit that happens, especially in that third act. So, how would I rate this movie if I rate it on uh, my normal scale? Uh, gore, it is a 4 out of 5. You got some brutal deaths, you got some nice little violent things in there. It's great. Uh, but they are few and far between when you do get them, but I think they're done well enough that it can get a 4 gore rating. Crap Factor, uh, it is a 3 out of 5. It's right in the middle. I'm not a very big fan of L's actor. I'm not sure I like how he was portrayed. I mean, Light wasn't that terrible, but it wasn't that good either. And that mix of Jamie Kennedy and, uh, you know, Nicolas Cage makes for something interesting while you're watching the film. Mia, you could do with fucking Outer. I mean, it could have just truly just been about L chasing Light. Uh, and that would have been great. You don't need to have this weird twist or whatever with fucking Mia being in there and her wanting to take over the Death Note. It's fucking stupid. You could throw it out and you wouldn't have to worry about it. And we don't need to have a fucking love interest at this point. You could have done that with the second film. After the fact that he's been on the run or now that he's convinced, like the first nine episodes of the show could have been this movie. And it would have been pretty good if you decided that you want to go forward and make sequels with it. Uh, so, Defoe... That's the other thing, again, Defoe wasted, uh, but good, uh, and I wish Ryuk had been more scenes of the film. Like, there's a lot of interaction between him and Light in the manga and in the anime, and I wish they had done that a little more, because I really liked his version of Ryuk. It was good. It was entertaining. I thought that was the best part, and a lot of people are probably going to be the same, and probably with reviews out there. Uh, fun factor. Uh it's a two out of five it's not fun in the middle it's fun in the the beginning and it's fun whenever you Ryuk's on the screen and there's some stuff that's funny uh but in general you know it's just kind of boring 
uh, in the middle, and that really brings a lot of that fun factor down. So it makes it a two out of five out of me, uh, for me, I should say. So overall, what would I give this score on this movie? Uh, I'm going to give it two burnt pages of bullshit out of five. That's right. Two, somehow the pages got burnt fucking bullshit thing uh out of five of those because it's i think it could be a three out of five if some of the middle would be done better uh it's not necessarily my favorite there's people are gonna fucking love this movie and that would rate it a four out of five or a five out of five and that's great this is just again like i said this is my opinion and how mad i was at the end of the fucking film you wasted all this time to get that type of ending it's cool that it was explained it's nice that's a little extra twist that maybe he's not the nice guy and he's not necessarily out just for justice but he's also out for himself uh and that's interesting but to all of a sudden reveal that it's fucking bullshit and the whole thing with mia all of a sudden she's just all about killing things and that you could see that from fucking a mile away too that she was going to do something to fuck everything up so for next time uh you know and i've been asked multiple times uh by phantom dark dave if i could do a film for him uh and you know he's been nice enough to be on the podcast a couple of times uh and so i said sure why not go ahead and give me a film uh that i should review and i'll find time to do it and it was supposed to be the date of this episode but i did death note instead so dave for you i don't know why i'm doing this but this was the lesser <laughs> god not necessarily lesser of two evils but the more entertaining of two evils Let's listen to what the next film is going to be. Instinctively, man has always been drawn to the sea. Its beauty. Its mystery. Its secrets. But there is also a vague uncertainty. A sense of intrusion into an alien world where man is unwelcome and completely at the mercy of the most terrifying predator on earth. Man's deepest fear has risen again. Jaws, the revenge. This time, it's personal. Dave, why would you do that to me? Jaws the Revenge? We're going to have to listen to some Michael Kine and some Mario Van Peebles. You know, Highlander 3's Mario Van Peebles uh, <laughs> for this upcoming film. So don't forget to watch Jaws the Revenge. Uh, it's out there. You can find it. Um, it's definitely on... Um, I believe you can get it, you know, like iTunes on... Um, YouTube, I think you can rent it and stuff like that. So, uh, the other thing that I do want to give a shout out to uh, this week um, is uh, these guys. It's crazy. This was actually a thing. There's a coffee shop uh, in Saga, Japan, that uh, a listener that is a regular listener on the show, um, he's, he found them listening to the podcast, the Godzilla episode, in their coffee shop. Uh, and I want to give a shout out to Yuki over there uh in that coffee shop uh, i don't know the name of your shop or else i would promote it uh but i do appreciate it and it 
it makes me amazed that uh, somebody in another country, another language is listening to the show. Um, and I appreciate it very much. And I appreciate, of course, everybody else that listens to the podcast. And you can always follow the podcast. Uh, it is on Twitter at T underscore T underscore podcast, as well as Instagram, Terrible Terror Podcast on Facebook, facebook.com slash Terrible Terror Podcast. Uh, and then I've recently joined the Horror Amino as Terrible Terror Podcast, and you can also follow me there. There's so many different ways uh, for you to follow the podcast and interact with the podcast. It's great. And if you ever have a movie suggestion or you have any ideas or you want to give feedback, you can send me an email to terribleterrorpodcast at gmail.com uh, or DM me on any of these platforms uh, available. And as always, if you like the show and you enjoy listening to the show, uh, please uh, rate and review us on things like Google Play or Apple Podcast, on Stitcher, on Spreaker, on Blueberry, all of those platforms. Reviews help the show um, and it helps the show get basically reach out there you know maybe it's possible that because people have raided the show recently uh, that our friends in japan actually got to listen to the show or it could be the fact that uh you know patrick who was on the avp episode had me do the godzilla episode that it got reached out there who the fuck knows uh but anyway i thank you guys very much for listening watch jaws 4 or as it's also known as jaws the revenge for the next episode and we're going to be coming up i can't believe it uh on two years soon uh and i'm doing something uh, hopefully really fun and uh, kind of special for that not just an episode um trying to maybe do something else too so keep a lookout for it and uh we will talk to you next time with jaws the revenge thanks everybody